we're not afraid of the dark, are we? That was Jim Shorney. Jim, how are you? Good morning, Scott. I'm great. How are you? Hey, I got a good new guitar. Did you? Yep. Ooh, do tell. It's an Eddie Van Halen, and it's a bumblebee design, so it's oh, black with yellow stripes. That's interesting. And uh, it's a playa. Wow, it's, I can't wait to hear it. It's a lot of fun. Um, and you might, in fact, have a chance to hear that. I might sometime. So, um, Real soon. I got it a couple of days ago. Yesterday, I played a whole bunch of guitar. I'm looking forward to playing guitar oh, again fun. today. And you know, you and, look a little bit like Eddie Van Halen. Okay, thanks. A little bit heavier, Le- bigger, larger. Less hair. <laughs> well, I don't, he's, uh, yeah, he's got his hair cut pretty short, too, now, so... Um, let's see. What else? Jim, you and I are drinking some great coffee from yes, the mill. we are. And if anybody cares to donate to KZUM, they, too, for a certain amount of coin, could be drinking yeah. this same coffee. That's one of the things this that is, you get. This is Costa Rican. And so um, at $89.30, we can, we can make sure that you get... A cool coffee mug, and they are cool. Uh, this is a new coffee mug, Sweet. and uh, a quarter I don't think pound I've seen of this year's coffee cup. I really like last year's. It's nice and big. Nice and it's big. It's suitable for you and I because ah, very good. Fill it to the brim. Fill it to That's the right. brim. Absolutely. So a uh, coffee cup and a quarter pound of coffee from the mill, eighty nine dollars yeah. and thirty cents. What a deal! And uh, the fun drive we did really, really well. But there's always folks out there that said, oh, geez, I forgot. I wished we would have had a chance to do it. And you can still do that. It's a, it's a real joyous thing, too. It makes you feel good when you contribute to nonprofit, non-commercial, independent KZUM radio. So if you want to do that, you can go online at uh, kzum.org, and you can take care of that. You can also call us at 402-474-5086. We've got a great program today. Jim and I are going to produce ourselves Pet Talk. And um, we've got dogs and cats for adoption. We'll do the cats first. And coming up, our second segment is going to be the brand new one, The Unexplained Steve Berg. Our main guest today is my friend and colleague Jim Willis. And he's reissued a book that he thought was very, very important then, and certainly is one now, and I would concur, Faith, Trust, and Belief, a Trilogy of the Spirit. First, let's talk about some cats for adoption. Let's do. Jim, you get a pick from this first page, our first cat. Okay, let's scroll down to the H's and look at Heckle. Up, back up, back up, right there. Well, you said scroll down, so I was... The white and black one right in the top center. Okay. And uh, what's going on with Heckle? What's going on with Heckle? Heckle is a six-year-old spayed domestic long hair who is looking for a calm and quiet home. Uh, spayed female. I guess you wouldn't have a spayed male, would you? Anyway, Heckle Do you remember is, Heckle and Jekyll? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. That's where my brain went. I'm okay. going to look on the next page and see if there's a Jekyll. Uh, beautiful, uh, medium-length hair, white on the bottom, black on top, just a gorgeous cat. You know, the, pr- the problem I've got now for me choosing a second cat is they are all 
They're all really good-looking yeah. cats. Chimini. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and just do um, this cat, Ami. And Ami is a two-year-old spayed female, domestic short hair. She's a bit bashful, and she'll appreciate a quiet home where she can relax and really turn on her charm. Kind of a black and silver look there, wouldn't you say? Oh, gorgeous She's cat, all the stripes. Yeah. And she's got those, uh, those kitty eyes, too, that she either just woke up from a nap or she's <laughs> not quite sure if she wants to, to even move yet. I'm seeing pale green on my screen. Very pretty. Okay, um, next up, we get to go back to... What do you want to do? Well, let's see who's on page two. You want to? Yeah, let's, let's do that. Page two. Here we go. Page two. Oh, lots of great cats there as well. Do you want to pick one, Jim? Uh, okay. How about... Let's go with Wren. Right there in the corner. Yeah, yeah. Wren. Kind of a calm, majestic-looking fella, don't you think? Or female. I don't know. What is it? It's a female. Ren is a six-year-old spade female, domestic short hair. Ren is ready to find a wonderful new home today. Will you be stopping by to adopt her? And, of course, we're looking at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. Mm -hmm. So if you want to see uh, pictures of Heckle, Ami, and Ren and read the little thumbnail sketch, you click on the picture and it opens up, go to CapitalHumaneSociety.org, and better yet, go out and see them today and tomorrow because they're open for adoption, and they'd love to see you. You bet. Okay, let's do some dogs let's for do. adoption. And uh, let's see, this boy. Yeah, you get to do the first one because I'm not quite on that page yet. Okay, so... Wow, they're all cool. <laughs> yeah, they are. Well, I'm going to choose Odie. And Odie has got that look. He would just love to connect with you. Look at those beautiful eyes, Jim. Yeah. Wow. Kind of a light buff coloring, uh, a little bit darker on top. Just a pretty dog. So he's a, a one-year-old neutered male, a great Pyrenees and lab mix. So he is a big dog. He's 82 pounds. He's got a ton of energy. And he rarely sits still. He'd love to be in an active home, daily walks or runs. And uh, he would benefit from some training. And so he can learn some leash manners. Um, he is at Camp Bow Wow. And you can call 402-441-4490 to set up a time to meet him there. And, of course, if you're a comic fan, you know that Odie is Garfield the Cat's comedic companion. So I think there's loads of fun in store here for this one. Okay, Odie starts us off there, and who's our second dog? How about Sheba? And I just accidentally went back a page, so Sheba is right there. Mm-hmm. Sheba's not quite sure about that photographer. <laughs> Indeed. And let me get back on the dogs page here. There we go. Uh, 
You want me to read Sheba, it? Sheba, well, uh, I can read it. You can read it. Uh, Sheba's a six-month-old spayed female pit bull lab mix. He weighs about 39 pounds. A young puppy that can be a little shy when meeting new people. She's looking for an owner to help her be more confident, confident through socialization and training. She'll require daily exercise to wear out her puppy energy. Kind of like you, Scott. Okay, Jim, I'll close this part down if you want to call I will do that. Steve Verg here. Um, so we've had three great dogs here. Actually, we had only two, didn't we? Two. Oh, i got to add one more, don't I? Yeah, we just did Sheba. So I will add another dog, and that way we'll make it a triumvirate here. Let's see, which, which one of you... Well, how about Ozzy? Ozzy's got those great ears. <laughs> so he's a pit bull mix. He weighs 55 pounds. He'd love to be in a child-free home and uh, a fenced yard. He'd love lots of exercise. And Ozzy would love to meet you today. All these dogs, uh, Odie, Sheba, and Ozzy, you can see pictures at capitalhumanesociety.org. Or you can also uh, just go out and see them today. So they would love to see you. I'm Scott Colborn, and you're listening to Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. And it's sure great to have you with us. Jim is making a connection here with Steve Berg. Steve uh, got his start as a native in Omaha, Nebraska. And back in the 1980s, he was just a kid, and um, there was a conference in Lincoln, Nebraska, and he said, uh, Mom and Dad, I'd sure like to go to that conference. And so his parents, good-naturedly, drove him down to Lincoln, Nebraska, and dropped him off at the front of the Nebraska Center where he experienced, I believe, his first UFO and Unexplained Phenomena Conference. And that, uh, you can't say it awakened curiosity in Steve, but it certainly uh, amplified the fire. And let's join us now for the unexplained Steve Berg. He should be right there. Hey, gentlemen. Hey, Steve. How are you? I'm doing fantastic on this fine Saturday morning, just enjoying my first cup of joe. You know, the first cup of coffee is always a special moment of the day, you know? Oh, it's so important. We just told people that if they donate to KZUM Radio, they can drink the same coffee we're drinking right now, which is Costa Rican. Ooh, I do like a Costa Rican blend. Less acidic, nice and, you know, but a darker, uh, darker bean. Right up my alley. You got it. Yep, you've had it before. I can tell. Uh, so, Steve, <laughs> it's it, it's, it's so uh, great to have you joining the the exploring unexplained phenomena team. And uh, be here. What is crossed your desk in the last three days that's got you peaked, interested, or saying what? <laughs> well, you know what? I'll tell you what. Just in kind of a general way, I feel like there is a. Uh, a bunch of old cases being talked about again, which 
has been known to happen in ufology in the paranormal. But uh, I feel like all of a sudden people are talking about the Cash Landrum case again, the Socorro case again. And I even started hearing people talk about the Serpo case, which is funny. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's I, I feel like we're hitting that time where uh, we're st- the, the old stories are starting to be recycled and repurposed for uh, our modern times. And I, I find that very interesting. So that's kind of what's been, what's been uh, taking my, taking my, on my radar lately. Uh, you, uh, from having met you last November uh, in person, and I guess I'd have to say again because I met you uh, many years ago in Lincoln when you were a young guy. Uh, yes. Talk to me about curiosity and why that's so important. I mean, we, Steve, you and I, uh, we look at this, we say there's a mystery. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, what, what does curiosity right, right. help us with? Oh, well, geez. I feel like, I mean, if, if I may be so frank, I feel like once you uh, stop being curious, I, uh, I don't know what's left for you. <laughs> I mean, to me, curiosity is the, is the fuel for the engine that uh, propels me forward in life. You know what I'm saying? So uh, mm-hmm. I, whether, whether it's just, you know, curiosity about uh, the world around you, the nature of reality, or what's flying through the sky, I want to know more. But, like, you know... I think you and you and I have discussed before. It's not necessarily the uh, answer to the curiosity that is important, but it's the journey that sets you on. It's a uh, curiosity can be a way that you you know a lens that you use to look through life. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, UFOs and the paranormal and the unexplained has uh, largely been a lens I've used to try to look through life and understand the world around me. And my, let me tell you, it is a blast. <laughs> So you rub shoulders with <clears throat> actors, actresses, uh, comedians, mm-hmm. people in the entertainment business, and oh, have, yeah. have they started to recognize you as being the kind of a go-to guy for information on the paranormal? You know, it. Uh, <laughs> um, it it's, you're, you're somewhat correct. You know, it, it, it is interesting. I, I, I have been out here. In uh, you know working in the the kind of comedy scene of Los Angeles, and so yeah, I, I do know a lot of you know I guess you know famous and quasi famous uh, comedic actors and writers and whatnot. But uh, after you know I've been out here for long enough to where I am kind of uh, the UFO guy <laughs> to a lot of these people. But what's funny is when I see them and they're off kind of by themselves, but all, people will tell me about their experiences or. You know, they had an aunt who saw a disc in 1967 above a drive-in movie theater. So, like, yeah, I'm kind of the guy people dump stories on at little parties and whatnot, and I couldn't be more thrilled about it, to be honest. Uh, years ago, I worked at a, a real estate office in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I was known as the guy that had the weird car because we went out <laughs> on tours of the new homes we'd listed. I played uh, either a Gregorian chant music or music from yep. India. And uh, oh, so, oh, wow. I you know I had uh, uh, started the radio show, and I was doing all sorts of research and uh, uncovering stuff, and meeting with um, um, people. And so I had friends that would walk by my office door, and they would whistle the Twilight Zone theme song. <laughs> and these same folks that would raise an eyebrow in public on a Friday afternoon about two thirty or three. They would come down my corridor, and uh, there's only one reason to walk down that corridor, and that was to see me, because I was at the end of this uh, dead end, right? 
And uh-huh. uh, they would walk down and they'd step into my doorway and they'd look down the hallway to see if anybody was listening. Then they'd say, what do you know? What's going on? Tell me something. <laughs> of course. <laughs> no, that, that, but that, that's the thing. It's, uh, it's, it's, I mean, being curious about these topics and uh, I, I don't know if you felt the same way, but for like growing up when, you know, as a kid, like, you know, in the 80s and like 90s, these topics were considered really weirdo. And even, you know, not, not, I wouldn't even use the word taboo, but mm-hmm. you know what I mean. They were kind yeah. of, uh, you didn't want to talk about them too openly or you'd be put into a certain category. But uh, I always did. That didn't stop me. <laughs> didn't stop me at all. But it's nice nowadays. I think people are definitely more, I feel like if you're not open-minded to this stuff, then you're kind of, you know, maybe intellectually behind a little bit because this stuff is... Uh, it's on the forefront. It's you know, it's even mixing in with kind of modern science a little bit. So, mm-hmm. I think uh, I think it's a really exciting time. In fact, maybe the most exciting time for UFOs, the paranormal, and esoteric studies. Period. So, yeah, man, I'm happy to be alive right now. I'm happy to be alive looking into UFOs. Do you do you think, Steve, that this UFO phenomenon, um, it's a microcosm of the larger? capital P paranormal, but do you think that this UFO stuff is in some ways self-reflective in that it mirrors back to us parts of each uh, of us? Boy, I think you uh, consolidated and just basically said w- one of my favorite kind of thought experiments is that yes, um, there is a guy named Greg Bishop who is a mm-hmm. UFO researcher, a, a person I absolutely love and I've learned so much from him. He's shaped a lot of my larger thinking. And he's kind of of the Jacques Vallée school, which Mm -hmm. you just almost described kind of a Jacques Vallée-ian, you know, uh, way of looking at this. And that is that we are co-creators in what we experience. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I may walk down the street and there may be a, the phenomenon may appear to me as a giant triangle. You may walk down the street and the same phenomenon could be there and it may appear as a giant, you know, Ferris wheel in the sky. So it, 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 this phenomenon, I don't, I don't know this, but it seems with, if you look at patterns, it just shows itself in different ways over different you know times of the evolutionary scale. And uh, yeah, I think I think what you said is so interesting, and that's kind of where my main interest and focus is 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 in looking into the idea that yes, we it is reflecting back part of our subconscious or whatever it is. Who, who knows? But. I think I think those ideas like you just had, Scott, are the ones that I'm really interested in. Um, and Jim, my buddy and longtime friend, Jim is interested in um, the uh, ghost subject. Mm-hmm. And Ooh, among, yes. other, among others, yeah, I, I didn't oh, mean yeah. to categorize you unfairly, Jim. But yeah, and, and I grew up around the Cub Scout campfires, hearing ghost stories, and then I oh, would yeah. go, go home, and Mom would say, "Oh, ghosts don't exist." Oh, really? <laughs> well, how come there's so many stories about them if they don't exist? Yeah, huh, Mom? <laughs> <laughs> well, G- Jim, I was wondering, I wonder if I could uh, turn the tables on you and ask you a question. Sure. Um, now, just like the ETH, you know, the extraterrestrial hypothesis, I feel like that has been, you know, since people have been the modern, been looking to UFOs in the modern times, everyone, that's been the most popular theory that these are aliens coming from another planet. Now, that it, 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 it's, it's a little bit in vogue to almost like, you know, 
open up your thinking with that. Like, could it be interdimensional or, you know, X, Y, Z? Now, with the ghost topic, do you see this as the, you know, if I may call it the DPH, the dead person hypothesis, or are you open to this being something else completely? Oh, I think it's it's a, a mix of things. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't pretend to speak for Scott, but I think him and I agree that all of this stuff is interconnected. And yeah. what, what one person sees as a ghost, another person might be seeing as an ET. And, right. And uh, in, in the field of just limiting ourselves to, quote, unquote, ghosts, there's all kinds of things that could fit into that category. You could have the dead person. Uh, you could have an extra-dimensional being. You could have a, yep. uh, some other sort of non-corporeal, non-human spirit. Uh, you, you know, who knows what it is we're actually seeing. I, I agree. I agree. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. Usually it's the people who tell me they do know what we're seeing, and then, then I'm usually I'm like, oh, okay, uh, never yeah. mind. I'm going to walk away. <laughs> those, those are the ones you want to watch out for. <laughs> you nailed it. Well, I, I'll tell you what. I, uh, I too, it sounds like we're going to be a good trio because I fall in I the same so, camp yeah. as y'all. Uh, where I'm, I'm just radically open-minded to this stuff and what it could be. And, and like, I think, uh, you know, Scott and I had a wonderful uh, breakfast dinner at a diner in Lincoln over the holidays. And we, we were talking about this stuff for hours and just had a fantastic conversation. But yeah, uh, And I wasn't invited. What's up with that? Uh, <laughs> well, you're invited to the next one. All right. You're on. <laughs> but, yeah, we, we talked about the same kind of stuff, and I feel like, there just may not be an answer to this stuff, but that's okay too, because sure. along the way, we're going to uncover all these wonderful mysteries. So mm-hmm. I'm in for the journey, you know, I'm in, yeah. I'm in for life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I reacquainted myself with Steve last November at the mm-hmm. uh, Paula Harris conference, uh, the yep. Star Works USA UFO Symposium in Laughlin. And uh, Steve and I both heard the presentation by Grant Cameron. And, uh, yeah. Grant illustrated in a, in a really palpable way, uh, a striking way for me, this, what we're talking about right now. And Grant said, you know, how is it that Paula and Ricardo Gonzalez, the Peruvian contactee, and some other people could go to um, Mount Shasta and do a two or three day encampment, pray, meditate, uh, and uh, sort of get into that vibe and have a low-level flyover and have um, some people actually experience uh, a visitation by a sentient being or two. Yep. And then we take that and contrast that with the Skinwalker Ranch in Utah where these ex-Special Forces guys that have grenades from their ears to their toes strung all down their camo uh, suit, and they've got uh, heavy equipment, machine guns, big caliber uh, hand cannons, and so they experience these creatures that are larger than cars that are impervious to bullets being shot at them and all sorts of, of, of stuff. And Grant argued, you know, this is an example of how this is self reflective. You know, okay, yeah. you're, you're, you've got peaceful intentions, so you're asking for contact, we're going to give you that, and we're going to meet that energy. Oh, you've got grenades from your ears to your toes. Okay, we're going to give you experience to, to also validate that. <laughs> Be careful what yeah. you ask for. 
Oh. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I, think, I think that is so interesting what you just brought up. And if you think about it just as like yeah. what we could understand being like, you know, humans or animals, if, if somebody comes towards me with a machine gun and grenades, I'm going to see them as, you know, as violent and negative. Mm-hmm. If someone comes to me with open arms and a tie and a Grateful Dead shirt, I'm going to give them a big <laughs> hug, you know? <laughs> and a cup of good so, coffee, right? Yep. And yeah. a cup of good coffee, man. Any friend of Jerry is a friend of mine, you know? So uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, yeah, it's, I, I, think, I think you kind of nailed it. it. It's like you almost like if, if you're seeking this stuff and you go or you are looking for this stuff, I think your intention is going to dictate what you experience. I know I don't have any like proof except for various patterns like you brought up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think there's definitely something to that. And uh, that just kind of makes sense on a human level to me. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go in with violent intentions or you're expecting violence, well, violence is maybe what you, re- you might be what you receive or negativity, I should say. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's, that's you're gosh, these questions are so good. <laughs> and also, all the questions you're asking are the ones uh, is the stuff I'm very interested in. Is in, and that kind of goes back to just the human experience because I think that's where we can learn the most is by, you know, is by examining and talking to experiencers because we can record, have data recordings and you know, videotape lights in the sky all we want, but I just don't know how much we can learn from that. Yep, I agree I'm not you. really interested in the reverse engineering the propulsion of these craft, you know, or uh, that's just above my pay grade. So what I can understand is how it affects people. Mm-hmm. Yep, the the point of contact, uh, consciousness, and so um, yes. I don't know if your schedule is going to allow you to attend the uh, the November gathering in Laughlin again, but it would be great to have you join us. And uh, oh, I'll be there. In the, I'll be there. In the meantime, folks, if you've got questions for Steve Berg. Or as we say, yep. the unexplained Steve Berg. <laughs> um, he's going to join us again in about uh, two to three months. And so you can either contact Steve or contact me and give us some questions. And we'll present them to uh, Mr. Steve Berg. Steve, thank you so much. And how do you think you did so far in your solo flight? Uh, you know, I feel pretty good about it. I've only been, uh, I've been awake for about 15 minutes and just slammed a cup of coffee. So, uh... I'll tell you what, I had a lot of fun. Usually when I have fun, that means it went well. Okay. <laughs> I hope you have a great rest of the day, and uh, stay uh, curious, thanks. Steve. Right back at you, friend. Okay. Steve Berg, the unexplained Steve Berg, he's going to join us on every fifth Saturday. Uh, originally from Omaha, he's now out in Los Angeles, and an accomplished actor and uh, stand-up comedian. Um and he's a curious guy. And I like curious people. Yeah, me too. I do too. Let's take the bottom of the hour break, and we'll be back with our main guest, which is Jim Willis. Jim has written a book that was just re-released. I may have gotten one of the first copies off the press. Faith, Trust, and Belief, A Trilogy of the Spirit. I'm Scott Colborn, and you're listening to Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. And Jim... Wax poetic for about 10 seconds, if you would. Well, what what great fun it was to have Steve Berg on, and uh, I think I've got a question for him next time. I'd like to know just what impact that conference in Lincoln, Nebraska had on his career path. Oh, cool. So let's put that on the list. Okay. So we're going to be right back with Jim Willis. You guys and gals, stay tuned. It's a great Saturday morning. 
Hello once again, Scott Colborn here with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Wasn't that fun with Steve Berg? It's great to have him joining the team here. We'll catch up with him in a couple of months, the unexplained Steve Berg. Next up is our main guest, Jim Willis. And uh, Jim wrote a book that came out in 2007. And this book now has been re-released. I may have gotten, as I said, one of the first copies. It's called Faith, Trust, and Belief, a Trilogy of the Spirit. And please join us again for great conversation with Jim Willis. Here he is. Jim, good morning, sir. Good morning, Scott. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm drinking some Costa Rican coffee. Uh, the there sky is not falling. And <laughs> I enjoyed reading your book. Thank you. Appreciate it. So I've got a lot of stuff to unpack and to talk to you about. Um, give your dog that's barking a pet from me. Uh, yeah, we have we have a shelter dog, <laughs> and uh, she's very protective of us. <laughs> well, that's okay. We um, we love dogs my, here. My wife is is uh, taking her into the other room right now. <laughs> so give my best also to Barbara and to your your we, daughter Jan. So we will do that. Um, I read uh, Jan's uh, email where she talked about. Uh, this re-release of this title, and I'd like to have you talk about this. Uh, why was this book important then? And Jim, what's in the back of your mind that says, boy, there's people right now that should be reading this or they could benefit from this? Sometimes, you know, in, in life you come across a trigger. Uh, mm -hmm. Somebody says something or somebody does something or you experience something and you say, um, it's almost like deja vu, I've done this before. Uh, 20 years ago, when I started teaching at the college level, I was teaching a course in uh, uh, world religions. And I, you know, it was a full three hour course, a three credit course, but it was an elective. So nobody takes world religions unless they want to. <laughs> so I always had classes that were just really stimulating, students who really wanted to be there and get into world religions. But what I noticed was uh, there was a, a tremendous gap in ages. I would have some students who were 18 years old right out of high school uh, coming into college for the first time, and they would see my course and something would do it, and they would sign up for it. But they might be sitting right next to a retired people who were just taking the course because they wanted to get back into school uh, and, and take some courses that they were interested in. So I might have kids who were uh, 18 years old sitting right next to senior citizens who were in their 70s. And uh, it was always stimulating conversation, but something happened. Um, it was a three-hour course, and so I would always break in the middle. And most of the students would take off to go to the cafeteria. So I go down to the cafeteria and I just watch what happened. And it was the, a, the only time I'd ever seen this in the cafeteria. You know, normally kids clump together and older people clump together. But in this case, uh, my students in their 70s and my students in their late teens would sit down at the same table and begin to talk. And it wasn't an academic talk 
uh, like we had in, in classrooms, because I mean, after all, it was a college course, even though it was in world religions. They wanted to apply their religions to their life. Now, this was at a time when uh, church membership was dropping, when uh, people were not inclined to, uh, uh, you know, call themselves religious anymore. Spiritual was coming into vogue. And here were these people, totally different generations, talking. And I noticed a question that always came up. And the question was, well, what do you believe, they would say. (laughs) They wanted to make it personal. They didn't want to just learn about religion. They would ask, what what do you believe? And it was a question that some of the, the kids especially were asking the older people. Um, they, they were looking for spirituality in their life. They were looking for guidance. And that just stuck with me all this time. What do you believe? Well, a couple of months ago, um, I was talking on a, a, a radio show such as, such as this about a recent uh, book that I had come out called Supernatural Gods. And it was a call-in show. And so... People would call in, and uh, I would, of course, you know, the Supernatural Gods is a, uh, a survey, so to speak, uh, of, of the field. And so I was trying to keep it on the academic level, and I kept having people call in for some reason that night, and they kept saying, uh, Jim, what, what do you believe about this? Mm-hmm. And it brought back into mind why I wrote the book in the first place and why I wanted to bring it out now. Uh, because it's uh, a, it was written, like I say, especially at a time when church at, uh, attendance was starting to fall off and across uh, the America and really around the world. And it was a time of, of great scandals. Uh, the Protestant ministers, Jim Swaggart and uh, Jim Jones and Jimmy uh, and Jim Baker. <laughs> I don't know, all those Protestant, make, uh, Protestant ministers named Jim kind of scared me a little bit. Uh-oh. But the people were just really off. And, and I think people were searching for something to believe in. And I was convinced that even though... Uh, in some cases, their church tradition may have let them down. The answers that they were looking for is was were still found in those traditions if they could really look at them with a fresh eye and with a fresh sight. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to do um, a book that tried to address the question, what do you believe, by uh, going into the original language of the New Testament, which was Greek, Koine Greek, or Common Greek, and there's a fascinating word in Greek. It's the Greek word pistis. And when it's translated into English, when we read about it in our New Testament of our own Bibles, for instance, it's a word that's translated with three different English words, and they all have different shades of meaning. And one is faith, and one is trust, and one is belief. And so this book basically just grew out of that one word. It's a, it's a, in, in theology, we call it exegesis, or study of exactly what words mean in their original languages. And part one of the book is about faith, and then there's an interlude, and part two is about trust, and part three is belief. And I began to realize that the same thing that motivated me to, motivated me to write the book then, in answering that question, what do you believe, um, is still necessary out there. I was really frustrated because I loved this book, 
but I couldn't get anybody interested in it. I, I couldn't get any agents to look at it because they said, oh, no, it's too, maybe it's too religious of some kind, although um, the, word, the, the book has no particular re- religious bias. As a matter of fact, I talk about Christianity, I talk a little about Buddhism, I talk about Zen Buddhism, I mean, talk about um, Confucianism and Taoism. But I, I, I wanted to go into the, the, the language that was familiar to most people, and that was the, uh, our English, old, our English um, New Testaments. And so the agents would say, oh, it's too religious. And the book distributors would say, I don't know where to put it on the shelf. And the publishers would say, no, I don't want to touch it because I don't understand it. And so I had to wind up, finally got it published, um, and had to had to basically publish it myself through Author House. And um, I just felt the need for it to be, uh, that it was it was important somehow. And mm-hmm. so when I started having people say, what do you believe? I said, maybe it's time to bring it out again. And there it is. Well, I would agree, Jim. Uh, so this is going to be a book for me that when that I hear friends and colleagues say, um, I'm having a crisis of faith, or I'm, yeah. fe- I feel like I'm in this prolonged, long, dark night of the soul. And yeah. something is, is going on. I wish I knew what it was. But I can feel it. I'm living it every day, and, uh, you know, I want to have a tomorrow with hope. So this will be a great book that I recommend. What I'd like to do is I'd like to take each of these three words and maybe spend a little bit of time with you talking about those. Sure, Um, sure. This first word... That long, long dark night of the soul that you were talking about... uh, by that the way, I'm, another... I'm raising my hand. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I've I've experienced that long dark night. It was more like um, maybe a year and a half for me. But yeah. yep, I'm I'm there. I'm waving my hand. Yep. Well, you know, I I noticed. Um, of course, I was a, a, a you know in in active in Protestant ministry for forty years, so I did an awful lot of pastoral counseling, and I noticed that when when people came to me. Um, with this very idea in mind, we would talk and we would meet over a period of sometimes months, sometimes years. And I noticed that at the end of our times together, if we had had what we both considered a success together, if we had helped them over the hump, something strange was going on. I couldn't figure it out. If they came to me as uh, uh, believers who wanted to come to a Protestant minister and talk, if they came as believers and we had a successful time together and they really began to grow spiritually, when they left me, they often left me having left their old religion behind. <laughs> and, and, going, and by the same token, when they came to me as non-believers, if we had a successful time together when they left, they would often leave as believers. And I was trying to figure this out, and I finally managed to put it together in what I call the ABA1 principle, the stages of of spiritual growth, which really fit exactly what you were just talking about. Um, The ABA1 system that I call of, of spiritual growth develops because there are different kinds of understanding of our spiritual natures. When when a person comes in uh, in the A stage, it's usually a rather naive acceptance of what they were taught. Uh, And then somehow they outgrow that naive uh, stage, that A stage, 
and they enter into a B stage or a rejection of what they were taught as children. And a lot of people in life enter into that rejection stage, that B stage, and get stuck. But if you can move beyond it, you enter into what I call an A1 stage, which is, it's A because it's familiar to that, uh, all the things you were taught, but it's a much more mature, much more spiritually mature understanding of those principles. Uh, The facts become metaphors, for instance, that lead you into a deeper understanding. So... In one sense, you seem to be an A believer, but in the other sense, you understand it much more with much more maturity, so it becomes an A one stage. Um, I, I like to use Santa Claus. You know, when we're when we're kids, we all believe in the literal Santa Claus. Jim, guess what? That. The the Hawaiian shirt. Uh, I I typically wear one. Today, I'm just wearing a, a sweatshirt. But the Hawaiian shirt that I wore yesterday, just because I like it, is a picture of of Santa Claus surfing and having fun so i like santa claus <laughs> well you know when when we're young santa claus is, is is so real but somewhere along second or third grade usually we begin to become santa claus agnostics and we enter into the dark night of the soul santa claus version and we're not sure about santa claus we're not sure of anything anymore how could santa claus do what my parents could my parents be lying to me could the whole culture be lying to me could the television shows that i watch could they be lying to me and we enter into this terrible dark night of the soul santa claus b stage where we don't really believe anymore but if we're really lucky we can get through that stage somewhere later on in life and Santa Claus becomes real again, not as an actual character that lives at the North Pole, but the metaphor of Santa Claus. You know, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And that's the A1 stage. And I think that people who experience the dark night of the soul, and we've all been there, are in that B stage where the spirituality that taught us in the past simply is not mature enough, not sufficient enough to get us through. And if we can stick it out, and if we can remain there, and that's what faith, trust, and belief is all about, to get us through that stage. If we can remain there, I think then we can move on to the next stage, which is a a fully developed spirituality that in a way is similar to what we once had, but in a way is much more, much more developed. Uh, this that is, makes sense? <laughs> oh, yes, yes. After this top-of-the-hour break, I'm going to take your Jim. We're going to come back. And I want to talk about some um, experiences that are personal for you and I and some working definitions on, oh. on faith. Sure. What is faith? How we come about having faith, how we're introduced to it, how we maintain it, uh, what happens, and you spoke to that a little bit, what happens if we lose it to regain it, um, and the intrinsic value of having faith and how that affects other dimensions of our being. Yeah. Um, Jim, I, I want to tell you that uh, I always enjoy and look forward to our conversations. You are a kindred spirit. And uh, so thank you so much for taking time. And we'll have more great conversation. Jim Willis is our special guest. And uh, Jim spent 40 years as a Protestant minister. Uh, and he also did a Uh, daily drive time radio program called Through the Bible. 
He's been a professional musician. He's also taught uh, on a collegiate level um, music. He's done two albums of gospel music. So he's, uh, uh, he's certainly a Renaissance man. And we've had him on with various books he's written, all books that are stimulating to one's curiosity about the world around us. And this is a particular uh, book of interest to me because I think this book, Faith, Trust, and Belief, a trilogy of the Spirit, this really speaks to some fundamental issues that each one of us, either a top drawer or bottom drawer, front burner or back burner, that we're all, that we're all working through. We not, may not be consciously saying, okay, geez, I've got to, but it's something I think because of where we're at right now that we're all at times mulling about and considering. So, uh, Jim, uh, welcome back here. I'd, I'd like to, to talk about uh, faith. And uh, to preface this, Joe Campbell, the great mythologist, said that he had no need for faith because he had experience. <laughs> and I want to counter and say that I think it's great to have both faith and experience. One complements the other. So let's talk about what, what that word faith is. How, how, do yeah. we, how do we, as little boys and girls, how are we first introduced to, to faith? You, you know, I'm um, in, in moving on from what from what Joe Campbell said. I'm I'm not sure you can really have experience without faith, and I'm not sure you can have faith without experience. Mm-hmm. Faith is faith is kind of an intellectual word. Um, as little children, uh, you you just asked me, you know, how are we introduced to that? We're mm-hmm. we're told there are things we can believe in. Mm-hmm. Uh, ideally, in a in a in a good home. You're you're told that your your parents um, love you, and the home is a place where you can come home, and and uh, you're always welcome, and you always know there's going to be a meal on the table, and uh, you all know you always know someone's going to remember your birthday. Faith is that kind of thing that we all have. We all know the sun is going to come up tomorrow, mm. and in that sense, uh, faith is built on experience. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, we, we, we've seen the sun come up so many times that we just know it's going to come up tomorrow, but it's still an intellectual, uh, thing with us. It's something we think about. It's something that we have. It's a noun rather than a verb. Um, we, we have faith because, uh, of our experience. We've experienced it there, but it's not enough really uh, and that's where the next word comes in. Um, I, I hate to get ahead of us here because I know we wanted to spend about time about uh, faith, but I think we can best understand that version of faith by talking. If if we have faith in something, that gives us the courage to go ahead and act as if that something is going to happen. If I have faith that the sun mm-hmm. is coming up tomorrow, I trust that it's going to happen, and so I can plan my activities for the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, even though it's it's dark now, I know it's not always going to be dark. I have faith that the sun will come out. Um, 
little little orphan Annie had faith. The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. And as a result, it gives us uh, a, a reason to go on. And when we were talking about that dark night of the soul, probably that is brought on by the fact that what we used to have faith in is no longer sufficient to see us through. Mm-hmm. And so because we don't quite have the faith that we used to have, to have we're not quite sure how to proceed. Um, when I was a, a little a kid, I was uh, raised in a family that always went to church. I was in the choir. My whole family was in the choir. And we were always there every Sunday. And the reason we were always there is we were acting on our faith. We just accepted, we believed mm-hmm. that God was real and that the things we heard in church were real. And so we were going to uh, plan our lives around them. But a lot of people go through that and then all of a sudden realize that they don't have faith in that essential reality of God, at least God as they have been taught. And so when the God that we have been taught, when the faith that we have been given kind of falls apart, what is there left to believe in? Mm-hmm. And I think um, we went through this in in our society, uh, especially starting oh back in the late fifties and then into the sixties. Uh, I think the sixties can best be described as an attitude of all of our institutional structures that we had faith in uh, were now gone. Uh, the men came home from the war and they invented the suburbs, and everybody moved out and built a picket fence and had two point five kids and a dog. You know, I mean that was the American way. It was the it was the way it was. And the church and attendance was at an all time all time high uh, in the fifties yeah. uh, and early sixties. I went to uh, Westminster Presbyterian Church, and we had there were Christmas Eve services where the entire sanctuary was packed and they brought in folding chairs and they put people in yeah. in rooms and ran speakers in there to to allow yeah. people to hear um where, uh, westminster uh church where uh, lincoln nebraska oh oh okay i because i went to westminster presbyterian church in detroit michigan <laughs> yay presbyterians yeah <laughs> so, so yeah i was raised in the presbyterian church but i'm i'm absolutely sure uh, that was the time you remember when uh, churches everywhere started building this brand new kind of uh, structure called fellowship hall mm-hmm. and uh, the idea was to bring people together and it was a time of potluck suppers and yep. community building and all of that and uh but as you say, it began to fall apart in the 60s. Um, we, we began to fall apart and, and, and separate in, into two distinct groups. Uh, and it was, it was fought out in Archie Bunker's living room. You remember all in the family? You know, there was <laughs> yes. Arch, Archie Bunker and Meathead, you know, uh, they went at it. And they were, it was a picture of our times. Strangely enough, the same thing happened in China, uh, in, in 6th century B.C., China. Uh, it was a time that was just fraught with uh, social ch- change and upheaval, and everybody was wondering what was going to happen. You, you'd, you'd wake up one morning and there was a warlord over you, and you wake up the next morning and he had been replaced by a different warlord. And the whole structure of yin and yang, and, and it, it, it just fell apart, and the people had lost their thing. And some people were saying, my country, love it or leave it. And the other people were saying, burn, baby, burn, you know, that kind of thing. And two religious traditions grew up in China during that time. It was just fascinating. One was Confucianism. And the idea of Confucianism was that 
we didn't have to change the institutions. All we had to do was do it better. We had to be better fathers, better mothers, better children. We had to have better schools, better teachers. Keep what you've got, but just do it better. That was Confucianism. On the other hand, at the very same time um, came Lao Tzu. Lao Tzu even met Confucius uh, at one point, according to tradition. And uh, Lao Tzu was called the old man. And the tradition that he came up with was the whole, um, the whole idea of, of Taoism. And his idea, he was the wild, he was the erratic, he was, he was, the, the, he was the, the burn it down. He said it's not institutions that we have to reform because our institutions are the very problem that's causing all this trouble. And so Buddhism and Taoism existed. One was the conservative, one was the liberal. And uh, <laughs> the Chinese people at that time, being very practical, adopted both. And most of them were, wore their business suits, <laughs> or the equivalent of a Chinese business suit during the day, as they were Confucian during the day. And then when it came time to face life and death, they would practice Buddhism. And when it came time to retire, they'd get on their Harley and drive off into the sunset, you know. <laughs> they were crit And uh, we used to see this down in Daytona Beach during bike week. We would see all these guys come in on their big Harleys and everything else and the souped-up things, and they were all dressed in the leathers and everything else. And you get to talk up, talk to them, and most of them were bankers and lawyers and <laughs> doctors who were just off on a fling. And I think that's what happened during the 60s. We developed two different spiritual reactions. One was radical, throw it all out, burn it all down, and the other was very conservative, just do it better, do it better. Um, and I, I, like I say, Archie, Archie Bunker and Meathead are a pretty good, pretty good mm -hmm. way of looking at that. Mm -hmm. I, I do you remember the music of that time, too? The, the, uh, the rock I, groups that were I, out there? Jim, you and I played it. Yeah, we played <laughs> you it. See huh? pictures, and if you're going to have a picture on a poster and you're a decent rock group, you don't want to smile. You know, you got to be serious. You know, and look look sullen. You know that kind of thing. I had a lot and, more hair, uh, and it was very very long. At one point, I had a uh, so much hair that if I put it in a ponytail and stood upright, the tip of the ponytail touched the top of my belt in back. Wow, that and, was great. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm. Grateful that I was able to grow it at at one point. Now it's, you know, I yeah. So, so, so Jim, well, I think, the, I think the, that was it. Our, our our what what had happened during those days was our faith was gone. Hmm. The institutions in which we had put our trust, the people in which we had put our trust, uh, we just didn't trust them anymore. Uh, a lot of it was uh, due to the when the when the uh, the guys came back from Vietnam. Uh, and uh, Vietnam was such a dividing line in this country, and we we had just lost faith. We lost faith in the in our our uh, our our president. We lost faith in our Congress. We lost faith in our institutions. It was a pretty tough time uh, mm -hmm. at that time, all because of lack of faith. I might say that one of the reasons I wanted to reissue the book is because we're living in those kind of times today i think we're we're losing faith in our institutions and we're losing faith in the american dream or we're losing faith in the people who are who are over us and uh, that's that's tough this is jim willis the book we're talking about is faith trust and belief a trilogy of the spirit so uh the word faith 
to me personally, there is also a, a underpinning. I say this now as an adult after post long dark night of the soul. There is yeah. a yeah. there is a foundation of surrender. And when I say surrender, there comes a point, I think, that for some of us, we intellectually grapple with things thinking that we are in control. Yeah. And when we come to a point where we've banged our head against the, the wall of the maze of life enough, we start to get a sense that maybe we're not in control. Maybe there's a larger uh, reality. There's a larger consciousness that we are definitely a part of. Yes. What happens if we start to admit to that, to allow that to enter our lives, to start to be guided by that? How does that start showing up? Yeah. Uh, first of all, we have to we have to uh, find a word for it. Uh, the old words, the old vocabulary under mm-hmm. the old faith, just doesn't work anymore. Uh, I find it very strange um, in the, the books that I've been writing lately. I find myself talking to a lot of people and a lot of groups um, who were initially turned off by the uh, the faith the faith tradition, the particular religion of the house that they were born in. Mm -hmm. And if that faith tradition emphasized the word God, um, a lot of people are very uncomfortable using the word God nowadays because of all the memories that that brings back. Um, And uh, it's, it's a shame because, you know, God is a perfectly good word, but sometimes we have to look around for words that don't carry the, the, the baggage that that particular words do for these particular people. I'm, I'm very happy using the word God, but I find myself using words like source, um, and I find myself using words like spirit And when I'm talking to people because it, it helps us communicate a lot mm-hmm. more. Uh, there's, there's a certain vocabulary that people associate with the faith tradition that they've left behind. And as they move forward, if they can develop a new vocabulary and develop a new way of understanding, let's say a metaphorical understanding instead of a literal one, that's that's usually pretty classic, then they can move on to that next stage, which is trust. Uh, Trust is a whole lot of different thing. Once... Once we have faith in something and we believe it and we've defined it and it, it fits our, our way of thinking, it fits our, our worldview, uh, once you have trust, for instance, that, you know, a f- faith rather that the sun is going to come up, then you can begin to plan your day. And that inv- now faith turns from a, a noun to a verb. It becomes not something you have as much as something you do based on what you have. Mm-hmm. And it's wonderful when people can develop that sense of trust uh, in something that they've left behind, but now they understand it in a new way. Because now you can begin to build your life around a whole new set of actions uh, of that are based on the trust that you have in the original faith concept. Uh, I hope I'm not getting too convoluted no, uh, <laughs> here. It, uh, I, I like to use analogies, and, and 
for me, part of the, the idea of surrendering, of saying that my ego is not the one in charge, resulted from the experience of the long, dark night of the soul. Yes. There was something, Jim, in that whole process for me because I had a, a very successful business and uh, at that point I was married and everything came crashing down. Yeah. In the back of my mind, I was, and I'm, I'm not speaking from ego, I'm blessed to be able to say that something convinced me that there was a greater power and presence at work here. That what yeah. I had to do is I had to write it out to show up to do my best every day and now here's that word trust mm-hmm. in a outcome and so that's where I, I hung my hat there were many nights I went out on my back deck and said I don't have a clue um, please guide me please allow me to see your efforts in my life and to be able to respond and and take advantage of those opportunities and uh, help me to deepen this relationship with you. So for a lot of us, Jim, it's because of a cataclysmic event. It may be job, may be marriage, it may be health, it may be all sorts of things that cause us to get shifted and jolted. And I'm I'm just wondering how we can talk to the people that are listening right now that they themselves perhaps are feeling a little bit of that long dark night of the soul yeah. how can we help them to have faith and to trust in an outcome I have a lot of um, people I'm in contact with recently because so many of my recent books have involved uh, quantum physics Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a chance to be in, in touch with a lot of people in the scientific community, uh, whether it's archaeologists or whether it's physicists or uh, doctors, biologists. And it's funny, when I talk, when I talk to them, um, I discover more and more that um, when they went into their field and began to study life as it really was, and began to study life as, as it exists, it was so totally different than the worldview they had before that it really knocks them for a loop. Um, a lot of people in the scientific committee for, community, for instance, become, uh, become atheists when they just can't put something real on their faith, when they can't put it under a test tube and look at it. And, uh, but I, uh, I've, I've discovered that these very people who, when they get farther into their field, for instance, in the field of quantum physics, when they discover that all life is an illusion, and when they discover that life is not the way we thought it was, and when everything they believed in does fall apart, they can find a new reality in the actuality of it. And the guy who helped me, as well as anybody else along this, uh, is a guy I've never met, but I read every single one of his books, and I understand you're going to be talking to him maybe next week, Irvin Laszlo? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I, he is just an, an absolute genius. But when I read his books, he is able to um, talk about it using different language. And he uses a lot of Sanskrit language like Akasha and all that. 
he is able to talk in modern scientific terms about a reality that I once could say it's an illusion, and if it's an illusion, therefore it must not exist. I forgot which scientist it was that says when you drink from the cup of the sciences, you will become an atheist at first. But when you get down to the bottom of the cup, you're going to find God waiting for you. Uh, I think going through that dark night of the soul, I like to look at it as being a, it, it, what, it, what it really is, is not a curse, but it's a blessing. Like in your case, it led you yep, I would to agree. a place that was beyond, a place where you had to go. If, if, um, I could, if I could tell everybody listening right now that is in some sort of minor or major upheaval, um, trust the process that you're in yeah. because it's going to be okay. I would never have chosen the route that got me from there to seated behind this microphone talking to you right now, Jim. I didn't have any intellectual uh, sense of a life plan or a map. And yet, to be here right now, I'm uh, so grateful. I am so grateful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's um, Life, in one sense, it really is an illusion when you start to look upon it. Uh, it, it nothing is the same as we think it is. We, we, we feel so solid. We feel so grounded. And yet, scientifically, we know that our bodies are just a massive energy. Uh, an energy that has taken on form. Uh, where Irvin Laszlo, I think, entered the picture so strongly was when he said that that form, that, 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 that we are experiencing that material energy uh, that has taken on, uh, that energy rather, that has taken on material form, it has a basis in science. It's just that we don't quite understand it yet. And it is all connected. And there is something bigger than us. And we are all a part of something bigger. And we are already connected to it. It's not that we have to learn anything. We already know it. Uh, and when we come into this life, I think uh, more and more I'm becoming convinced that we come into this life uh, from wherever we come from on the other side of the Higgs field and come in and take on this body and enter into this period where we are cut we feel cut off from source we feel that we're individuals rather than connected and, and we seek to ratify that or rectify that by be forming all these communities anything to make us feel together again i think what we are really experiencing it is is a life path that goes way beyond faith into trust in the sense that we mm -hmm. we may not feel it all the time but somehow we trust that we are a part of something bigger and that we are a part of a bigger reality, whatever we want to call it, and gradually we begin to trust that that means that our life has purpose, even when it doesn't feel like it. Mm -hmm. And our life has meaning, even when we can't figure out what it is. And if we can just see our way through, and sometimes that's all we can do, is just try to blunder on through, we have to, have to trust that somehow we're going to get through it, when it happens, time and time and time again, I've seen it throughout my ministry that people get through it and they say, that terrible thing that happened to me is the best thing that could have happened. Although I wouldn't want to go through it again. I'm so <laughs> glad I went through it because it made me the person I am today. Yep, capital A-M-E-N. Amen. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Jim, there was a yeah. character in Huckleberry Finn um, by Mark Twain who says, uh, faith is believing in things that ain't so. Yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. something that's the intangible, and yet 
uh, I met some people back in the 1980s, Patrick and Sharon O'Hara, that talked about the nature of trust and how when we trust that forms a basis then for the deepening of faith. And they said, within each one of us is this connection that we have to the divine. Intellectually, we may feel like we're cut off from that source, but there is a connection in each one of us that is true for everybody that's listening right now to the broadcast. And the O'Hara's talked about that connection reveals itself to each one of us through our dreams and through our intuition. And these are forms of communication that God, the divine, the Holy Spirit, all that is, consciousness, that, that we get direction. So they said, how can we, how can we trust because we live in a ethos right now where there is so much mistrust. You've got people that are championing uh, alternative facts, saying yeah. that up is down and down is up and right is left and left is right and bad is good and good is bad. So they suggested that we go within and we do something simple like, okay, we're going to take the bus. Why don't we try to intuit when it's the appropriate time to go down to the corner, pick the bus up. Yeah. And as we start to do that, we start to gain this faith that the trust is working. It's uh, being seen and experienced. I had an experience one time, Jim, where I I needed to buy a, a car. And so I did a uh, short meditation and prayer, and I said, uh, please help me find the right car that is fun, that's economical to drive, that's within my financial reach, something that I can uh, get right now. Thank you very much for your help. And I got up from this short prayer and meditation. I went out and picked up the mail, and there was a flyer from yesterday's mail that said, come down and look at the the cars at Randolph Williamson (laughs) Volkswagen. And so I said, well, okay, I'm I'm going to go along with this. I'm going to treat life as a waking dream, the title by Diane Kennedy Pike. I'm going to say I've asked for input, and all that is had already known I was going to ask that, so this flyer is in the mail, and is in my mailbox waiting for me. And so I picked up on that energy. I did the meditation at the correct time. I went out. So, Jim, I went down to the car lot, and I asked the guy if he had any used Volkswagens. And he said, "Um, just two, including the one you're standing next to. It was a Volkswagen Rabbit. (laughs) And I said, how much do you want? And he said, uh, gave me a price, and it was $1,000 over my budget. And I said, well, as long as I'm here, would you mind if I just sat in the car? And he said, no, no, here, go ahead, please, open the door for me. He said, you make yourselves at home, I'll be right back. So about 10 minutes later, this big, burly, uh, smiling guy came back. He, without any preamble, he said, 
and I can take $500 off if you're interested. Well, really? Now it's gotten more affordable. Oh, can I take it to a, a mechanic friend of mine? Sure. Here's the keys. Go ahead. The mechanic said, man, if I needed the used car, I'd buy this myself. This is really good. And so that day I bought this Volkswagen Rabbit. And it all started with trust. And yeah. again, you, you mentioned quantum physics. The listener, please understand that I had not gone out to the mailbox previous to sitting down. <laughs> I, had, I had acted on that, that sense that it was time to do that. And I made that uh, invocation, request, petition in prayer and meditation. Yes. Then I went out and found the flyer, and that connected me later that day with the car. Yeah, you, you had faith in something bigger than yourself. Yes, Jim. And so then you went and trusted in that faith uh, that it was true and acted on it, and look what happened. That's wonderful. I've, I've had so many people come to me in that um, dark night of the soul time and say, I feel like such a loser. And I say, no, you're not a loser, you're a hero. And they say, how do you say hero? And I say, because you're getting up and going on, and you have faith in something bigger than yourself, and you're trusting it even though you don't feel like it. And that is the act of a hero as mm -hmm. far as I'm concerned. Yeah, there's a, it's at the tip of my tongue. It's a definition of somebody that is in the moment of peril um, acts with courage even though they don't feel like they've got it. Mm -hmm. um, Jim, let me take the yeah. bottom uh, of the hour break, and we're going to come back then and maybe uh, tie in faith, trust, and this last word, belief. Yeah. Um, and maybe we'll talk about a belief in, belief in what? Uh, pizza, strawberry ice cream, uh, and let's go deeper than that. Uh, Jim Willis, let me give you his website, the first and last name, Jim Willis, W-I-L-L-I-S, dot net. And uh, you'll also find Jim Willis on Facebook. The book that we're talking about today, I believe, is an important book for all the reasons that we've talked about. And I think a lot of you folks listening have at least one or twice, once or twice during the broadcast, found yourself nodding your head up and down. <laughs> uh, the book is Faith, Trust, and Belief, a Trilogy of the Spirit. And Jim Willis and Scott Colborne, along with Jim Shorney, we're going to be right back after this. And coming up immediately after Exploring Unexplained Phenomena is Beta Radio. And Beta Radio is fun, it's adventurous, you never quite know what to expect. Uh, it comes from a pool of programmers who are waiting patiently for their own show. And so they volunteer to come on to Beta Radio and give you kind of a taste of what you might expect uh, later on. Uh, as Jim Willis said earlier, our main guest next week is Irvin Laszlo. And he's got a book that um, I'm kind of getting a sense now from talking to Jim Willis that's going to be a companion or a good follow-up title. Uh, Irvin Laszlo's new book is Reconnecting to the Source, The New Science of Spiritual Experience, How It Can Change You, and How It Can Transform the World. 
Uh, let's resume the conversation with Jim Willis. And Jim, for people listening, what part of the world are you in? I'm in South Carolina. I live deep in the woods of South Carolina. Uh, my wife and I came out here 10 years ago, and the plan was to live out in the woods for one year and have a spiritual experience of really wrestling with God and coming to grips with our spirituality and coming to grips with the source, with whatever we want to call it. And it was supposed to last for one year. It was going to be kind of a retreat kind of thing. And uh, we're going on our, well, coming up to our 11th year oh. now. <laughs> we're still out here in the middle of the woods. So, Jim, you... Days go by when we don't see anybody or hear anybody. And the only, um, the, the only thing we have... Uh, uh, that, that kind of keeps us tied into the world um, is that, of course, I was, you know, getting involved in writing books and 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 all that kind of thing, and uh, we began to get a little, a little old and and begin to worry a little about what, something might happen. So my uh, we we built a house right next door for my daughter, and she moved up, and she handles all the technical stuff for us and runs the websites and does all that kind of thing, and uh, and she's always here if we need it, if we need her. So. We're, we're just very happy in the woods with no, uh, ha having planned on spending one year, we have no inclination to leave at all right, <laughs> right now. So, so many of us have talked about this uh, blueprint of our lives, looking back on our experiences and saying, gosh, I wouldn't have been able to, to chart that path or make that decision, but look where I'm at now. Um, and I'd like to have you maybe amplify that and talk about that great big rock that was in front of your um, your your cabin that you built. Oh, I mean, you built you went out and you found this piece of land, and you probably said, "I like the promontory. I like the sit the way it's situated. This would be a great place to build a cabin." Yeah, that was a cabin up in up in uh, New England. Um, I, when I was entering into one of the dark nights of the soul, uh, I went out to that cabin to uh, to meditate and mm -hmm. to just to try to figure out what I believe in, who am I, where am I going. Um, I was a, a Protestant minister. Uh, I was beginning to lose my faith. I was beginning to wonder what I was going to do with my life. Uh, I was old enough to regret some of the things that had passed before. I began to wonder what what would have happened if I had stayed in music rather than going to ministry and all that kind of thing. And uh, the fourth day of the meditation, and uh, four is, was I think, especially important because uh, four is a very important day in terms of vision quest. A lot of Native American youth were out there, and it was, it was usually a four-day vision quest to try to find their their uh, spiritual manitou. And so on the fourth day, I began to hear what I thought at first was uh, cars back on the highway, which is about a mile away. But then I began to realize, no, it wasn't cars on a highway. It was drums. And I was beginning to hear drumming music. Uh, and it, I mean, I mean, drumming rhythms in my head and everything else. And I, I wow. it was almost disembodied it was strange and as i opened my eyes i looked out at this rock which was down on the ground in front of me which i'd seen before is about four feet long best way i can describe is to say that you know remember that old weebles wobble but they don't fall down <laughs> kind of thing if you're old enough to remember that that's what it looked like 
and it looked like someone had obviously been uh, working on the top of this rock. It was smoothed out and almost looked like a human face. And as soon as I opened my eyes and saw this rock, I somehow knew that it was supposed to be standing upright. And there was a voice that I heard in my head, not an audible voice. It was, I can only say it was like words floating in front of my eyes that said, it's not that you can't dance. It's that you won't dance. Now, I've had problems with dancing all my life. I played in dance bands Mm -hmm. uh, all my life. I love to watch people dance, but I just can't do it. There seems to be some kind of a spiritual force that keeps me off the dance floor. (laughs) I love to be up there with a band and watching people dance and do all these moves that I just can't get myself to do. And so what was this thing about dance that has so uh, done my life? Well, I I called my daughter, who is... uh, uh, much more knowledgeable about, about all things Indian than I am, and I said, "What happens when? What, what is this thing about dance?" And uh, basically, what happens? She said, "It's the the dance is the the sound of the roughed grouse that makes the roughed grouse mating call. It it bangs on a uh, on, on on a log and sounds like drums. And when a grouse becomes your uh, totem animal, it's a sign to get your life in tune with the dance." of life and I didn't think too much about that but when I went out to that cabin again uh, much later in the time of the spring lo and behold there were grouse feathers not the carcass but just the grouse feathers of uh, lying there right at the foot of this particular rock and it was a sign for my totem animal to this day I carry one of those feathers laminated in plastic uh, in my wallet with me because it reminds me of my totem animal that says you have to get in tune with the dance of life. Um, I I came to understand how that rock got there because it was, uh, I had traced back everybody who lived on this particular piece of land. Uh, it was awarded to the first person as a payment for their fight in King Philip's War back, you know, 300 years ago. And uh, when he came out and to take over and start to live on his land and built the house that was there that I was now living in uh, much later, um, he probably came across this and saw it as a pagan idol. And so he knocked it down. And there it lay until 300 years later, I, Protestant minister, put it back up again. We bolted it to the glory of God. Uh, I attended a, a all-day workshop with a kind of a mentor of mine uh, who was a Ojibwe teaching elder. We had sat around all day, and uh, he was teaching us some of the uh, Ojibwe creation story. And at the end of the day, I couldn't wait to talk to him and tell him what had happened about finding grouse feathers on this particular rock mm-hmm. that had been probably put up by uh, Native Americans through, you know, who, who knows how long ago. And to my, you know, consternation, he acted kind of bored. And, and I said, well, you know, what, what is it? He says, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to act bored. Okay, you found the grouse feathers on the west side of the rock. What next? And I said, how did you know they were on the west side of the rock? I didn't tell you that. And he said, well, that's where we would expect them to be. Uh-huh. He said, that's, that was a sign. You know, Manitou was giving you the sign that you're supposed to get your tune, your life in tune, the dance of life. It was a typical vision quest. Happens all the time. Nothing spectacular. <laughs> and I said to him, well, you mean all this time I've been searching for God and now I discover he's an Indian? 
And he looked back at me and gave me this wonderful smile and said, no, she's an Indian. <laughs> and it was, it, was, it was the first time in my life when I ever began uh, to see that uh, my faith uh, had led me to act and stand that rock back up again. Mm-hmm. And I began, you know, and I had the, the trust to do it. And all of a sudden, I found myself now believing in something again. I really believed that there was a power that had to get through to me. And because I was so, you know, uh, thick-headed and academic in my own faith tradition, it had to come to me through a different faith tradition. And it happened to be through the Native American spirituality that permeated that particular land. Mm -hmm. And it didn't mean that I was supposed to drop Christianity. It just meant that I was supposed to look at it with brand new perspectives, a, a brand new way of looking. And uh, I, I began to all of a sudden finding my, my faith had turned to trust. I had trusted in it. And because that trust came through, like you buying your car and like me finding the rock, I now had something bigger than me that I could really believe in. I couldn't really understand it necessarily. And uh, I couldn't, uh, you know, explain it. But that rock-solid belief was there, and it had never left me. So when it came time for me to retire from Christian ministry, my first thought was go out in the woods, build yourself a house, live out in the woods, and believe that there is a power that's going to talk to you. It's going to, it's going to come into your life. And uh, sure enough, that's exactly what's happened. And it's led to all the books. It's led to everything else. Led me to read all of Irvin Laszlo's books about the, the, the power. What he did was give a, a scientific definition, another way of understanding and very scientific values exactly what this higher power was that I have all my life called God, mm-hmm. that some people call source, that some people call Brahma, that uh, some people call Akasha, and as Irvin Laszlo talks about it. And it is that unifying force from which we come to which we return, and that binds us here in this world, even though we sometimes don't believe it. Uh, Jim Willis and I are professional uh, musicians. And so now I'm talking to all those people out there that play instruments, that dance, that do something creative with their hands, with their soul. Jim, there's a point that I've gotten to when I'm playing with people in an ensemble and we deepen our connection where suddenly there is an ESP that is yep. flowing oh, yeah. through the ensemble. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know what the other person's going to play and how they're going to oh, yeah. improvise before they even get to that point. And they know the same about you. And there's, it's sort yeah. of like there's a, there's a lever, a cosmic lever that everybody shifts down into this higher, more rarefied gear I've been in countless situations where it's happened as an infilling of joy and spirit, and we all look up almost at the same time, and we smile and grin and nod our heads. We're all saying, yep, here it is. We're there. <laughs> I, I gotta, I've got to tell you, while we still have time, I've got to tell you a story about that. But, but uh, before I do, I have to emphasize, Irvin Laszlo was also a musician. Uh, he began his career as a concert pianist. Oh, cool. um, really world class but when you were talking about coming into this this feeling your your experience was on the rock side mine was on the jazz 
outside where of mm-hmm. course we're all improvising and everything else and I I was I can I will never forget the night of playing with this uh this uh, uh, quintet and it was just one of those nights when everything was working you Magical. know in it, it and we finished we finished one set. We finished a tune, and we, we we had just exploded. Everybody knew what was going on, and we had the feeling of creation. We had the feeling of being creators, and we were all connected. And when we finished the whole thing, man, I put down my horn. I just turned around. I said, "Wow!" And the sax the saxophone player looked at me and said, "Yeah, man, better than sex." And the only trouble was. His microphone was still live, and his wife was sitting in the front row. Oh, no! <laughs> but it is, it, it is that time, and it, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? When all of a sudden you're, you're just connected, and you all feel more like uh, uh, conduits, more like you're, you're yeah. channeling something, and it just is right there. I, to me, that is bliss, and I'm, I'm so grateful you have had that experience. Um, yeah. So, Jim, we've got a, a, about three minutes left here. What I want to do is I want to uh, have you talk to the listeners and imagine that each one of the listeners have a internal guidance system based upon your book, Faith, Trust, and Belief, based upon your knowledge. How can they learn to trust that guidance system uh, uh, yeah I it, it's it's there uh, first of all I think the first step and it's really most important is is tied up in that word forgive um, in order to move ahead we have to forgive uh, we have to forgive the people who uh, when we were young perhaps gave us a faith tradition that was not adequate and maybe it wasn't even their fault Um, maybe as kids we weren't ready for it maybe we didn't understand it or maybe even unless we have to be honest here perhaps some of the 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 leaders whether they were leaders of our nation or leaders of our church or synagogue or mosque maybe they let us down um maybe they uh, were diminished in our eyes. And as a result, we have somehow equated that faith tradition with uh, evil. And so whenever we hear about it, we just kick it out. We say, I'm not interested in all. We have to forgive, forgive them. We have to forgive ourselves um, because there is, I'm sure, in the kernel of that faith tradition, uh, in in the, the the sense of that faith tradition, there is a a, a a seed ready to blossom, or or maybe it's a totally different thing. Maybe if we were raised in say a, a Christian home, maybe we're going to find it in Buddhism, or we're going to find it in Hinduism. Maybe if we were raised in a Jewish home, we're going to find it in Christianity or Islam. It's hard it's hard to tell, but that faith system uh, has all of the world religions. They've been around for a long time. And the secret is right there. So I think we have to, first of all, forgive and get over that hurt and that pain that we, in which we associate spiritual growth with something bad that happened to us as children. The second thing is I think we have to have open minds. And I think we have to just be open. We have to read. We have to talk to people. And, and not try to necessarily say, convince me, I want to agree with you. Just 
find out what they believe. Find out, ask that question that my students kept asking in class. What do you believe? Um, and, and put it all together. And in other words, what we're doing is setting out on a path that's going to lead to spiritual growth. And when that happens, um, as Joe Campbell once said, doors will open where you didn't even know there were doors. Um, unseen hands are going to open avenues, and you may find yourself, uh, just like Scott Coburn, on a totally different way of life, uh, leading in a whole new direction that you never knew you were going to go. Uh, just like me, same thing. Uh, it's I see it over and over again. If, if we um, intellectually intend that we want to grow, we can say, I don't understand. I don't understand if there's anything out there. I don't understand if this source can actually hear me and work. But if it's there, I want to experience it. I want to grow. I want to know and then be open. You might have a grouse give you a message. <laughs> you might have a used car salesman <laughs> give you a message. You might have all kinds of animal envoys all of a sudden speak up that make you think about something and then begin the walk. Uh, do we have one minute left, Scott? To... That's just about it. One minute left. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I had a, a dream last night, uh, just to show you how relevant this is. Mm-hmm. I'm, I was on my way to an, a place where I've never been, and I knew that somehow in the dream that it, it, was, it was saying to me that my life is changing in some way. I think it probably has to do with the fact that I've been asked to lead a, a, a tour to, uh, to Turkey, to the ancient sites of Turkey next September with Ancient Origins magazine. And it's something I've never done before. It's a brand new area of life going to a part of the country that is can even be dangerous nowadays. And I knew I was worried about it. But in my dream, I was packing a car to go to an unknown destination. And I was filling it with a lot of cement blocks hmm. uh, that I had paid some good money for. I was using the cement blocks to build these uh, fences and, and, and separate areas of the car where I was going to put my stuff as I was packing up my house and getting ready to leave. I woke up from that dream and I realized how much of that those old heavy cement blocks I'm carrying with me, that weight that I'm carrying with me from my past life, and I've got to jettison it in order to get on to the next section of life. We all carry weight with us. Drop it if you well as you can and move forward, and uh, I guarantee you're going to have a, a, a spiritual walk in front of you. Jim Willis, thank you so much. His website is his first and last name, Jim Willis, W-I-L-L-I-S dot net. Until next week, walk in beauty.